Open your Bibles today to John chapter 15. And uh, as you make your way there, I want to announce a few things to the church. First and foremost, as you have noticed, praise God that we are uh, growing as a church family as we welcome new visitors and guests each week. So let's give the Lord a hand, a big hand for that. Praise the Lord for that. Our prayer is that we continue to grow as we continue to grow in a culture of invitation where we invite people. I hope you get an opportunity to do that. God still uses the invite. We see people come to faith in Christ all the time through the invite. I got to invite a lady just this last week as I was jogging. I noticed that uh, a lady was pulled over pulling a uh, branch out of a, a road and she was struggling with it. And I offered to help, which was probably not too smart because I was jogging. I couldn't breathe. It takes breath to be able to move branches. But anyway, I struggled through it and got it, uh, got it off the road. And, and I said, ma'am, do you have a church home? And she said, actually, I don't. And we got to have this great conversation standing in the middle of the road. Uh, praise the Lord. There was no oncoming traffic and uh, about coming to Enion Baptist Church. And so if you're here this morning, I'm so thankful you came. Uh, but uh, again, we, we hope that you continue to do that. But as you do that, a couple things that we want to remind everyone for, we want to make sure that we create one of the most welcoming environments possible here. And that is everyone's responsibility. So first and foremost, if you arrive early, make sure to sit towards the middle of the pew. Last week, uh, we had to send out an SOS, which is a scoot over some, uh, to make sure that people can uh, find a seat. And just to remind everybody, I don't think this is an issue here, uh, but nobody has assigned seats here. Amen? No, y'all going to have to do a little bit better than that now. Nobody has assigned seats here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Secondly, uh, Greet people around you. I know it's COVID. I got down a minute ago. I said, stand up and greet one another. Kimberly said, oh my gosh, you can't do that. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Anyway, but you want to be able to say hello, greet people, look at people in the eye. If you don't know their name, you have my permission to brother and sister them, okay? I do it all the time. Hey, brother. What's, you know? So whoever it may be, greet people. Make sure to let them know that you're thankful they're here. Secondly, I want to invite everybody this Wednesday night to Vision Night. Uh, I've got a lot of things I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart that would help us be real catalytic in the days ahead to help us reach this community for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Several of the things uh, the church has already talked about doing in the days ahead. Uh, some of those things I was able to share and talk with the pastor church committee on. And so I believe that my responsibility as a pastor is to lead the church and to, uh, to be able to give some, some insight in the days ahead. But I want to do that and not take anybody by surprise. We want to be able to let you know kind of where we're headed so you can pray because we are all a part of this uh, together. So join us. We're going to come early, uh, eat some barbecue, some pizza. It'll be a great fellowship moment, and then we're going to worship together. The choir is going to sing. It's going to be a great Wednesday night. But with that being said, we're going to continue in our series this morning in John chapter 15 called Abide. And just to remind you, what our heart and desire for this series is that we would all be drawn deeper into a more intimate relationship with Jesus. George Mueller is one of my favorite uh, Christian figures in history. God used him as a missionary in England. He ended up starting an orphanage. He took care of thousands of children in his lifetime, and, and it was basically on prayer. God, he used prayer, and God used him in an incredible way. This is what Mueller said of spending time with the Lord. He said, This first and great primary business to which I ought attend every day is to have my soul happy in Jesus. Did you hear that? He said, my first business that I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. That's what abiding in Jesus looks like, where you are walking in intimacy with him. And it's so been so encouraging already to see how God is answering those prayers. I got to have a conversation with a dad of a middle school girl uh, who said that this past Sunday after church, she came to her dad and said, Dad, I know that I know Jesus, 
but I don't know if I know how to abide in Jesus. And so dad got to have a great conversation with this middle school girl about how to just walk with Jesus daily. And so we praise God for how he's answering things like that. But thus far in our series, we've talked about who Jesus is, how do we answer the call to abide in him. And today, we're going to talk about the visible work of God that happens in the lives of believers when we are abiding in Jesus, and that is bearing fruit. And so the title of our message this morning is Truths About Bearing Fruits. And so if you think that's a little hokey, it's better than my first thought for a title, which was How to Be Fruity Peoples. But uh, I thought that would come across more like a breakfast cereal than a sermon title. So that being the case, look with me at the first eight verses of John chapter 15. And I want you to notice how central bearing fruit is to this passage. And I want to invite you to do something this morning. I want to invite you to stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word today. So John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. If you can't stand, uh, we totally understand that. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they are cast into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Lord Jesus, I pray, would you speak to us here today through your word. God, what we need today is not my words. God, we need yours. And so we pray that you would speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you grab a seat there this morning, clearly, as you read through this passage of scripture, there are two major things here. Abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit. So today, I'm going to try to help us to know how we can bear fruit for the glory of Jesus. And I'm going to answer some questions about bearing fruit today. The first question you need to answer today about bearing fruit is what does bearing fruit mean? Now, bearing fruit simply is about the outpouring of your life. The fruit of your life is what comes out of you. It is your actions, your words, your thoughts, and your behaviors. In this passage of Scripture, when Jesus is pointing to the fact that fruit comes from the branch, we know that bearing fruit refers to what comes out of your life because it is a clear picture of what we see in nature and the relationship between branches and fruit. Fruit is secondary that must be birthed out of a primary thing, such as a plant, as we see this even from God's design in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we see that God designed fruit to be a secondary thing that comes from a primary thing. The Bible says that God said, Now let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of which bearing fruit kind after their kind. He talks about, again, the fruit is what comes from a tree or comes from a sprout. God designed fruit in its essence to be that which comes forth from something else. And like all things in God's design in creation, it is meant to point us back to the glory of God and serve as pictures to us here today. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus uses the physical realm like a connection between vines and branches and fruit to describe what it means to bear fruit in your life. 
So just like how in nature, when we see that fruit is born from a branch that is connected to a vine, so we as branches, we bear fruit, which is the outpouring of our life, directly is directly determined by the vine that we are connected to. And we said this just a few weeks ago, that we are either connected to Jesus or we're connected to false vines. Church, we may not be able to answer the question today, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? But we can answer this question, that the fruit that comes out of you always comes from that which is in you. Does that make sense? What comes out of you, your fruit speaks to who you are in your soul. So the second question that we need to answer today in this text is, what does, why does the fruit of our lives matter? Now, there are several reasons that the fruit of our lives matters according to John 15 throughout the Scriptures. I'm going to give you four reasons today why the fruit of our lives matters. Excuse me. First, the fruit of our lives matters because it is a gauge of the spiritual status of ourselves and those around us. Here in John chapter 15, verse 8, we see that the public nature of the fruit of our lives is something that defines our devotion to God. Look at this. In verse 8, Jesus said, My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, and so what? Prove to be my disciples. Jesus essentially is saying here that what comes out of you gives evidence or testifies as in a courtroom situation to what is in you. So again, it's a spiritual gauge of who we are. It's kind of like the gas meter uh, or the alternator meter of what's going on within you. Jesus basically said the, Matthew, the same thing in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them, he says, by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. Essentially, in both John 15 and here in Matthew 7, we're reminded that the fruit of your life, if the fruit of your life is bad, then the, your spiritual situation is also bad. Likewise, if the fruit of your life is good, then the spiritual situation of your life is good. Church family, we need to know that we are all constantly bearing fruit. Can we say amen that here today? Something is consistently always coming out of you. You are bearing fruit to something, either good or bad. And the fruit of your life gives testimony to the Jesus in you or the lack of Jesus thereof. The fruit of a person's life being a defining marker of their faith is so important that the Bible gives us several clear pictures of what good fruits and bad fruits are so that we can gauge our spiritual condition. So let's just time out here for a second. We're all bearing fruit. What comes out of our lives, our thoughts, actions, words, behaviors, give testimony to what's going on in us, to our spiritual condition. So again, the way that you treat your employees, the way that you treat your children, the way that you treat your spouse, the way that you interact at school with your teachers, all of those things give testimony to what's going on within you spiritually. And so that matters, by the way. It matters so much. That the Bible gives us a lot of different pictures of what fruits, good fruits and bad fruits are. Probably the most famous comes from Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 through 24. Paul gives us some bad fruits and some good fruits. Now this is what he says. Now the deeds are the fruits of your life. Of the flesh, which is bad fruit, are evident. Which are immorality, impurity, 
sensuality. So if you're living in immorality, that speaks to sexually, that speaks to the way that you deal with your money and finances, these things, it's speaking, these are, if you're living in immorality, impurity, sensuality, these things are bad fruits. They give testimony to what's going on in your spiritual heart. He talks about idolatry, sorcery, things that are witchcraft. Then he talks about enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. He talks about contentious people. Have you ever known contentious people here this morning? Now, come on now. Y'all are more spiritual than that. You know, hey, can we all say amen? We all know that person. You know, they get in a fight with anybody. They get a fight on Facebook. They get in a fight at the ball games. They're just mad and angry with everyone. And can I say something to you here today? It's easy to find those people in church sometimes. Okay, for some reason, those people always find their way into church. Can I say something to you here today? First off, that speaks to the spiritual nature of who they are. And secondly, you need to stay away from such people. Because you say what happens? When they're done fighting everybody else around them, eventually they're going to turn and start fighting with you. But again, it speaks to who they are. And it goes on envying, drunkenness, carousing, of things like these of which I have forewarned you. Listen to this. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. That fruit matters. But then he doesn't stop there. But then he says, but this is a good fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of Jesus in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, of which such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Have you ever been around those people where they just bear fruit of Jesus? It's just like you can just walk up to the tree of their life and just take a bite and say, man, that is sweet. That is good. They're producing love. They're producing joy. This list should be sobering to us today. To be a true follower of Christ doesn't mean, and praise God for this, that you won't have moments where we bear the fruit of the flesh, okay? We all still have to deal with the flesh. Adrian Rogers talked about the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's like a big black dog and a big white, white dog fighting with one another. And whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to win, okay? But it also shows here that if we perpetually practice such things, if we are living perpetually giving off the fruit of the flesh, but there is no fruit of the Spirit within us, then it may speak to the fact that you don't truly know Jesus. So testing your fruits are important. I used to get my hair cut here. Again, my brother, my mother being here this morning, when I was in elementary school, middle school, I, my, my hair looked like something uh, out, of, out, of, out of 90210 or one of those deals. I mean, I had the Elvis look going on. It was pretty, pretty impressive here, okay? But I remember when I was about eighth grade, I went to the barber shop with my brother. We went to Mount Olive, went to Jean's Barber Shop. How many of you ever got your hair cut this morning by Gene? All right, there you go. So praise, I found out this last week that Gene's still cutting hair. He's got to be at least 118 years old. So praise God that Gene's still cutting hair, hanging in there. Gene loves Jesus, okay? He always has. When I found out, when I remember the very first time going to get, his hair, get my hair cut, that Gene had his barber chair specifically pointed to where, he, as he was cutting your hair, you saw two things. First, the price of your haircut. Which was funny, it used to be $4, and I remember when he pinned a piece of white paper with handwritten on it, it said haircuts will now be $6 due to inflation, okay? Things were getting bad, and Gene had to adjust, okay? But the other thing that was larger right in front of you was this statement. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Does your life prove that you love Jesus today. Someone might say, well, Pastor Zach, that sounds judgmental 
to say what a person does defines their walk with God. Now let me make this clear. The Bible doesn't say that I should judge the fruit of somebody who doesn't claim to know Christ. Paul made that real clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 5 through 12. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, I shouldn't expect far from God people's lives to bear the fruit of anything other than far from God people. But the Bible does say that I should pay attention to the fruit of the lives of people who claim to know Christ. This kind of fruit inspection is needed in our day. When in situations like what just happened this past week when the New York Times covered a story from a so-called Christian minister who spoke about the two abortions that she had in her life and how she said they were decisions that she felt her faith affirmed and that her faith led her to. Now let me make it clear. There is no biblical doctrine in the Christian faith that would lead a person to abortion. It is sin, it is a heinous sin, it is not an unforgivable sin, but it is undeniably wrong. For this minister to say that they are faithful to Jesus and yet celebrate abortion, that should lead Christians to say that the fruit of their life is not in line with the truth of the Bible, so our decision would be to deem this person a heretic or a proclaimer of false truths and thereby deem them to not be a person in genuine fellowship with Christ simply because they're fruit of their life. Listen to this. It's one thing to sin. It's another thing to celebrate that sin. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Isaiah prophesied of such people saying this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Church family, in a day when the design of God and the standard of right and wrong is under such attack, we must lovingly be a people who are able to call a spade a spade. And when it comes to the fruit of people's lives who claim Christ, our determination of the fruit of people's actions and words cannot be based on emotions. It cannot be based on cultural acceptance. It cannot be based on what is nice or what hurts people's feelings or doesn't hurt people's feelings or even on secular laws. We must stand faithful to the Word of God. Psalms 119 verse 160 says this, The sum of your word, O Lord, is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Church, the fruit of our lives is the altimeter of genuine faith. And I'm not a pilot, but I know enough to know that your altitude matters. And it has grave consequences. So church family, this morning, why does the fruit of your life matter? It is a spiritual gauge of your life. This should cause us today to say, what does the fruit of my life say about the Jesus in me? Or even the lack thereof. Secondly, the second reason why the fruit of our life matters is because it impacts our eternity. And we just heard how the fruit of our life is a gauge to our spiritual situation. And our spiritual condition has eternal consequences. In John 15, Jesus affirms the eternal significance of the fruit of our lives. In John 15 too, Jesus speaks about those people who don't bear fruit for him, who don't truly know him. He says, every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then John chapter 15, verse 6, he speaks of those who don't truly know Jesus, that the the fruit of their, they're not bearing fruit for the glory of God, says that they will suffer his wrath. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, and they dry up, and they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, this is a clear reference to hell and eternal judgment. Now, it's interesting to note here, think about this, in this one passage. Now, don't lose the fact here 
that Jesus is saying over and over again, abide in me. He's not speaking of eternal judgment where there's no way out. He's speaking of eternal judgment in context of saying, abide in me. That is love when he says, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth, so I'm going to invite you to come, come now. But in this context, he speaks of the two most fearful things about landing under the wrath of God. And that is eternal separation and eternal suffering. Church family, regardless of how little this topic is addressed in pulpits all over America, and even how little it is discussed in our homes or at lunch tables, we don't talk about it anymore. The reality is that God's eternal judgment is just as real today as it was when Jesus repeatedly warned about it in his ministry. Jesus spoke about hell and the eternal consequences of those who would, who would end, leave this life separated from him more than any other person in Scripture. And it should move us to urgency. I have a prayer card that I pray in this sanctuary and that I've been praying weekly since arriving here. And it reminds me, and I pray for me and for our church, of the urgency of eternity. And it says this, Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is real and it's sobering. Can it, anytime in church where you hear that silence, it's because the word of God has spoke. This morning, we need to remember that this is real. John Hambright, one of my dear friends, your previous pastor, Used to preach a message on hell that had three points, and I'll never forget it. It was hell. He said, hell is serious because it's real. Hell is sobering because what happens there. And hell is sad because people really go there, and they don't have to. Church family, if the fruit of your life here this morning, if you're here today and the fruit of your life causes you to question where you stand before Jesus, I would say to you, by the mercy of God, run to Jesus today. Run to Jesus today. He is inviting you today. Abide in me. I woke up this morning and my one-year Bible reading today was John chapter 9. This says, We must work the works of Him who sent us as long as it is day, for night is coming when no man can work. The closing of night could be when you leave this place and get in your car. The closing of night could be this week and none of us know that time. So today we must be prepared. Thirdly, the fruit of our lives matters because true followers of Jesus... It matters because it impacts the glory of God. Look again at verse 8. Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now you may ask the question, what does it mean to bring glory to God? That's a good question. The glory of God is the majesty, the holiness. In some sense, it's the fame and renown of God. It is the reputation of God. John Piper said, the glory of God is the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. That means that the things that give, that give God glory are the things that proclaim His goodness, His beauty, His reality, and His worth. So think about this. The fruit of our lives should be bringing glory to God. Our life should say, God is good, God is worthy. 
Jesus essentially said the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, or you could say your fruits, see your good works, and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. I had the great opportunity this past week to see several people bringing glory to God. I went to the North Jefferson Baptist Association annual meeting and Steve Loggins, our director of missions, preached a message about revival, need for revival. He elevated the glory of God, the worthiness of God. And in that moment, I found myself longing to go seek God. And I said, God, you are being glorified. I saw God being glorified this past week as I read one of the testimonies of Corey Tinboom. In the moments before she was preparing, preparing to go to what she thought was her execution in a concentration camp in Germany, she was sharing Jesus with the lady she was standing next to in line because this was her statement. She wanted to leave one more person to Jesus before she died. And as I heard that statement, I said, Oh God, that is somebody bringing glory to you. And just this past week, as I was in a meeting from church members here at our church who are actively serving in foster care ministry and foster care awareness, which is a ministry that every one of us are called to be involved in in some means because the scripture says pure and undefiled religion are those who care for orphans and widows in their distress. And as I heard them as we talked and dreamed about how we could be a church that owns the children in our community, that there's no, that there's no child that doesn't have a home, I began to think, oh God, may you be glorified here today. So the question is today, does the fruit of your life bring glory to God? Can people see God's beauty and character and worth in your life? And then finally, the final reason why the fruit of our life matters is because it impacts the eternity of the people around us. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalms 34, 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever thought about one of the main ways that people will taste the Lord? It's from the fruit of your life. What is the purpose of fruit if not to be given away? Fruit is not about you. You don't, branches don't eat their own fruit. I mean, it's not, it's not for you. The fruit of your life is naturally to be given away. And think about this. What is inside fruit? The seeds. What do seeds produce? More plants, which leads to more branches. All throughout the Bible... The seed is used to refer to spreading the gospel, which is the message of the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus for the sins of the world that we may all be brought into a relationship with him. The fruit of your life is often the means by which we spread the seed of the gospel. You're not picking up what I'm putting down here for a second. You think about that here for a moment. The fruit of your life is what will spread the seed of the gospel. The gospel is to be wrapped up in the sweetness of the fruit of your life. Now, this doesn't mean that we just live our lives for Jesus and expect that people would come to know Jesus. You know, they say, share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That's a terribly false statement. Romans chapter 10 said, how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? But rather, it should remind us, though, along with our proclaimed gospel message, is that that gospel message, it needs to be wrapped up in the fruit of a life that is good, life-giving, and desirable to the world if we expect that gospel seed to find root. Have you ever heard somebody saying the right things in the wrong way? They're sharing about Jesus, but they're doing it hatefully. 
They're doing it without love. Or they're telling people about Jesus, but they see you across the street being hateful to your kids and being hateful to your family or, 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 or living a life that is not bearing the fruit that gives glory to God. Listen to me this morning. The fruit of your lives doesn't just affect the glory of God. It doesn't just give testimony to your spiritual situation. It doesn't just give testimony to eternity. The fruit of your life impacts the reputation of Jesus and the goodness of Him. It's worth asking yourself the question today, is the fruit of my life helping the gospel witness, or is it hurting my gospel witness? Finally, we have one major question to answer this morning. The last question to answer according to this text is, how do I bear fruit for the glory of God? My heart and prayer this morning is your pastor. So we talk about abiding in, talking about abiding in fruit is to bear fruit for His name and glory, is that we would all say, okay, God, I'm, I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at my fruit, and maybe there's areas in your life where you're bearing more fruit of the flesh than you are fruit of the Spirit. And you say, but Pastor's like, I want to honor God. I feel it within me, a desire to honor God here today. And I want to bear fruit for His name and glory. How do I do that? There's several lessons weaved throughout this passage of how we can do that. So I want to give you three musts to bear fruit for Jesus this morning. First, to bear fruit for God's glory... You must give your life to Jesus if you don't already know him. Three times in this passage, we're reminded that if we aren't in Jesus, we can do nothing. Let me tell you what nothing means in the Greek. Nothing. Nothing means nothing. It means without anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I believe that everyone, everyone in this room has a desire in their heart to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. To serve something that's worthy of your life and your effort. I believe that it's in the design of God for humanity and creation. And it was meant to be that which presses us to serve God and bring glory to Him. But you cannot bring glory to a God in whom you do not know. And sadly this morning, even the things that you are doing that are good, the accomplishments in your life... There's always going to be something that is missing if it's not done under the glory of God. Because you are not created just to be a good dad. You are not created to be a good husband alone. You are not just created to be a good neighbor. All those things are good, but they end at you in and of themselves. You are created for the glory of Him who created you. And if you know Him, then you're being a good dad, but you're being a good dad for Him, and you're satisfied. If you know Him, you're going to try to be a good husband because you know Him and you want to do it under the glory of God. And that will, that's what will sustain you also in these good efforts. But again, if you're here this morning and everything in your world is right, you've got everything that you need, but there's still something missing in your life. There's nothingness coming out of your life. It very well may be today. Because you don't really know Jesus. Your life has not been crucified with Christ. You've got to, you're religious, you're at church on Sunday morning. But you don't live Galatians 2.20 where Paul said, For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith. Now I'm the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this morning, if you want to bear fruit for the glory of God, I would just tell you, run to Jesus this morning. You got to see my, introduce my brother this morning who opened up in prayer. When I came home that Sunday, almost 20 years ago now, it's because he came into the house of God on a Sunday morning. Just like I came into the house of God on a Wednesday night a few years before that and heard the gospel and said yes to Jesus. 
this morning, just say yes to Jesus today. Secondly, to bear fruit for the glory of God means you must abide in Jesus to know Him. Again, this, is an, this, is, this call to abide is not just for those who don't know Jesus, but it was originally to the disciples, those who know Jesus. Abide in me, abide in, it, 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 he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. What does this mean today? It means to be a seeker of Jesus. It means to start each morning making yourself happy in Jesus, like we talked about with George Mueller. If you want to change things in a spiritual way in your life, you've got to change your life. Get up in the morning and start meeting with Jesus. Make time during the day to go and worship him, to, to, to pursue his presence. To do like Adrian Rogers said one day. He said he, he, he got on his face before God and he said, God, he told the devil, he said, devil, if I die on my knees, I'm not getting up until I've met with you. If you want to produce, you've got to persist in the presence of God. If you want to be bearing, you've got to be abiding. If you want fruit of God to come out of you, you've got to get the spirit of God within you. And then finally... To bear fruit for God's glory, you've got to cooperate with His working in you. If you go back up to verse 2, God speaks about the, Jesus speaks about the pruning process. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now again, what should that say to all of us here today? That says to the most Jesus-loving person in this room, you have not arrived. That means to every one of you, you're bearing some fruit, man. You pray a little bit. You teach your Sunday school class. You, you, know, you tell people about Jesus. You know, you really crucify your flesh as much as you can. And, and that's great. That's wonderful. Can I say something? God's not satisfied with that because he's worthy of more. And sometimes we can kind of get in a rut to where we get accustomed to what we're doing and we're not challenged. God is challenged for more. God is calling us up to more. I went for a jog yesterday. And again, when I say jog, I'm being very generous here to myself, okay? My 12-minute miles are not rocking and rolling by any means okay but i was jogging i was on mosley loop this little quiet little street it's about the only quiet street in morris that you can uh jog on and as i was jogging i you know i'm feeling good about myself the sun is shining it's cool outside it's fall weather hallelujah praise the lord you know and i'm i'm moving and out of nowhere some high school kid passes me now i'm on kind of this and it scared me to death goodness gracious you know, he came up behind me and he didn't do the courteous hey coming up on your left you know no he didn't give me that ran right past me well, once I got over the shock of this fact that this guy came past me, I noticed two things out of the gate. First off, what I thought was jogging, he probably thinks is walking, okay? <laughs> and then secondly, I started to try to keep up with him. See, I'm, I'm going to try this for a little bit. So I tried to keep up with him and keep you know, the, the distance the same. And, and, and after just a few minutes, I decided that God still had plans for me in this life and, and that he wanted me to be your pastor a little bit longer. I was going to back it off a little bit. Now, can I say something to you here today? It reminded me that what I was doing wasn't bad. But what I was doing, there's still more I could be doing. There was still more fruit that I could do as far as an exercise. Can I say something to you here? The same is true in our walk with God. God wants to prune and work on us. And how does he do that? I'm going to give you just a few ways and then we're going to close. The pruning of God may look like God cutting off the things in your life that are robbing you from being more fruitful. If you've ever had a garden, you ever had tomato plants, you ever had, you got to go in and pinch off the what? The suckers. <laughs> these little branches, these little things that are not going to produce fruit, but they're just taking nutrients away from you. This could be God plucking sin out of your life. This could be also like God just revealing to you wasted time. It's not necessarily sin. Hebrews chapter 12, I heard Tony Evans say this this last week, and I'd never heard this before in my life. He says, cast off the sin and every encumbrance that so easily entangles you, every weight. 
Well, he differentiates between sin and weight. Sin is sin, but weights are not necessarily sin. They're just things that are holding you back. He says, cast off the sin, but then also cast off the weights. Cast off the things that are wasting your time. Today, the Spirit of God may be revealing in your life even right now. Or maybe you're saying, God, you know, I'm not as fruitful as I used to be. God, is there anything, any weights, any things that I'm wasting time on, or even any sin that I need to, that you want to cut out of my life? Secondly, the pruning of God may look like God tying up areas in your life where you need support. You think about the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? He ties up the vines in certain areas. If you've ever done any gardening, you have to do that at times. So support, support uh, branches so that they can hold the weight of their fruit. What does this look like? This could look like God bringing godly people around you for greater discipleship. To help hold you up, to help challenge you and hold you up for more. Can I say something to you here today? If you are trying to live your life for Jesus and bear more fruit and do it alone, it will never happen. That's why it's so important for you to get in a life group. Any discipleship strategy we have here at Eden Baptist Church will always begin with those Sunday morning life groups. And then from there, connect in some sort of one-on-one discipleship kind of relationship. Get in a man group. Go to some of our ladies' classes. Get connected in those things. I can't tell you how many times that I've counseled people in ministry. It's one of the hardest parts of serving the Lord is when people get to the worst of the worst And it's not because something tragic has happened in their life. It's something because of their own failures. They're going to lose their family. They're going to lose financially. Or maybe they may be going to jail because of decisions they made in their lives. Can I say something to you here today? 99% of the time when I ask the question, what godly people do you have around you? They say nobody. They've got surface level relationships. They smile at people in the church. But did they have anybody asking them about where they really are in the relationship with God? No. And the devil loves to get people along. Discipleship may be something that God's calling you to. Or God may be tying you up by calling you to prepare for more ministry. You want to bear more fruit. Maybe you need to start sharing the gospel, but you don't know how to share the gospel. So pruning may say, hey, go get in that evangelism class. Go learn how to share the gospel. Or maybe God's calling you to preach. Hey, go and enroll in Bible college. Whatever that may be, God may be calling you up to more. And then finally, the pruning of God may look like God allowing your flowers to die which means experiencing some hardship in your life for fruit to bear. I want you to know something this morning. I I believe that God is sovereign over all things. But I also at the same time believe that there's things that happen in this life that are not according to His plan, especially those things that are not His desire, especially when we think about things like sin. Jeremiah talked about this when the children of God were presenting their children as human sacrifices to pagan gods. The scripture says that God told them through the prophet, this sin never even entered my mind. And so some things that happen to us, I think are absolutely the plan of God. Some things that happen to us are are maybe just sin, the ways that we were sinned against. But at the same time, God is sovereign over all that. And he works together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you've done any gardening, one of the things that you know about is the places where you're going to bear fruit before fruit comes there. what, what, what What do you see there before the fruit? You see a flower. If you have a tomato plant where it's going to bear tomatoes, you'll see a flower. If you're going to have cucumbers, you'll see a flower. You see these things, muscadines and scuppernines, these things, you'll see flowers. And then once the flowers die, that's when it becomes time to bear fruit. And everywhere where fruit is going to be born, there's a place where that flower shriveled and dies. Maybe the pruning in your life today for you to bear more fruit is that you've experienced some deaths in your life. Some hardships, some struggles, 
some pains. And you wonder, how in the world can I ever really find healing and struggle in this, in this struggle? Can I say something here, here today? God wants to take your greatest hardships and make it one of your greatest ministries. God wants to take your pain and give it purpose. Maybe you've been through a divorce, but God walked you through it. Can I say something to you here today? When other people go through that situation, you can give testimony to God's faithfulness in it. Maybe you've gone through a situation where you struggle with addiction, but God set you free. Maybe not everybody around you may understand that, but when people admit, when people around you that have been through that, you can say, I've been through that, or wayward children, or maybe even death and suffering. Can I say something? One of the greatest ways that you can walk in healing from those things, for you to give them to God and say, God, I don't understand why all this happened, but I do know that I want to give you my whole life. And Lord, if you can find any glory from even my greatest pains, God, I give it to you. And I can tell you over and over and over again stories of how God did that. Not only did it bring healing to those they were ministering to, it brought great healing to those who were giving it to the Lord to be used. I'm going to ask the instrumentalists to come this morning. And as they come, I'll tell you a story. Some of you have already met uh, Jackson, my seven-year-old's dog, Hunt. Hunter Blue Reno, the blue tick coon hound that welcomes everybody on their way in the church on Sunday morning. Um, just a couple days ago, Hunt, when we were moving to Arkansas, he was in a pen that was a, a, a fence that was wooden fence. He couldn't see out of it. But now he's in this fence he can see out of it, which he sees every church member that comes in on Sunday morning. Uh, but just this last week, he's discovered squirrels, okay? Because I'm going to be honest with you, it's been a little hard to keep Hunt quiet, okay? And Jackson loves it, thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. I said, Daddy, you should see him perk up and start barking at these squirrels. That big, deep, you know, ooh, you know, you hear that. I said, well, buddy, let me tell you why he's so excited. Why is it? Because that's really what he was designed to do. I mean, this is what he was created for. And he's in his element in that moment. He said, Daddy, can we let him loose? Not if we want to keep him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What's so great is we were talking about what he was designed to do. Can I say something to you this morning? You were designed for your life to bear fruit for the glory of Jesus. And this morning, you will find your greatest satisfaction, your greatest joy when you surrender your life and you say, God, I want you to use my life for your name and for your glory. Can I say something to you here today? Again, you can't bear more fruit. By doing the same thing over and over again, you got to say, God, I, I'm giving it to you fresh. You know, you got to let him start pruning and working. You got to let him start clipping and cutting. You got to start meeting and abiding with him. And I, I believe, I, I really believe this. I believe it's in the heart of Eden Baptist Church to see the glory of God work here, to see this community reach, to see people healed and set free, to see people saved that are lost, to change a culture. I genuinely believe that. And that will happen, not because what happens in this pulpit, but what happens in the pulpit of your life and this is where it begins saying God I'm not satisfied I want more for your name and glory I want to bear more fruit I want to be more surrendered I give it all to you What's the point of coming to church on Sunday mornings talking about a Jesus who died for the sin of the world, who rose from the grave, who's got the power to set people free that one day is coming back and we're going to be with him forever and ever? What's the point of even talking about that message if we're not going to live and walk in the power of it every day? If you believe it to be true today, church, 
and say, oh God, here's my life. I give it for your name and for your glory. I put my whole life on the altar. Here I am. Church family, in a few moments, we're going to open up this altar. And I just want to invite you to come. Maybe you've got a hurt or a pain here today. You want to lay it before the Lord and say, oh God, however you want to get glory from this, I give it to you. Maybe if you've got some sin in your life, some strongholds, you want to come lay before the Lord. You need somebody to pray with you. Again, you can't do it alone. Our pastors, our ministers will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And that's where you want to begin. Then in this few moments as we sing right there where you are, you can meet with Jesus. You can pray a very simple prayer that will change your life here today. Say, Lord, save me. Just pray. Bow and say, Jesus, save me. You can do that right now. Jesus, save me. I'm going to ask you to stand right there where you are. Our ministers will be up front. Brother Ken's going to come and lead us in a song of closing. And again, this is a moment between you and God. This altar's open. Can I, again, can I say something? We got to get beyond doing the routine. We got to get beyond doing the normal. And one of the things we got to get beyond... It's saying, hey, you know, God's working in me, but I'll deal with it in my car. Can I say something? I'll deal with it when I get out. Can I say, if God is moving and working right now, then he wants you to respond right now. Because what the devil's doing, as soon as you walk out that door, he's got kids to feed, he's got work to deal with, and it'll drift away. But right now is the moment to respond. So if God is working, then come. Come to Jesus Father, we love you. We praise you. I pray even right now, God, you move in people's hearts and lives to say, Jesus, my life is yours. It's yours today. For your name and glory, it's yours, oh God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come?